Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country as they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. This is Mark Ramsey of the Ministry Collaborative. And it's my joy and honor today to be talking to Dorothy Bass. Hello, Dorothy. Hello, Mark. Great to be here with you. There are many reasons to talk to you. Many people who are listening may know you primarily from the Practicing Our Faith book that you wrote and has been reissued. And I know for many of us, it was an incredibly important book in parish ministry as we tried to guide congregations. The topic of your new book is called Stepmother, and the subtitle is Redeeming a Disdained Vocation. I am anxious to ask lots of things around this, including why did you write it? Oh, good question. As you mentioned, most of my work for years before writing and teaching was about the way of abundant life that can take shape through Christian practices. And there came a point in my life when I thought, okay, I need to stop. We had published 15 or so books. What do I personally want to say about this? And I started a book with chapters like forgiveness, hospitality, Sabbath. And I suddenly had an insight that all of this came to a personal focus for me in my role as a stepmother. Hmm. And in fact, I soon came to understand that being a stepmother is, in a sense, a paradigm of the Christian life. You walk into a situation that is already broken, and you try to live there with grace. You try to find wise practices. You try to serve your neighbor in a situation that is already broken. Hmm. And of course, all the situations everyone moves into are already broken. I mean, your congregation, your workplace, your school, whatever it may be. But for me, this was one that was very personal to me and very widespread in our culture. Mm-hmm. Most people have a step relative of one kind or another in their lives. Mm-hmm. I don't think the church is very good at dealing with this. Mm. We become embarrassed, want those ideal little nuclear families in the church, even though we say we don't in our heads. Sometimes yeah. that yeah. prejudice endures. And when I got this idea, I started sharing it with others, and the response was so enthusiastic because so many people have struggled with this issue of life and step family and especially the woman's role in that. Mm -hmm. So I see it as a follow-up to much of my work on practices, though I don't use that language most of the time. Mm -hmm. I use it near the end. Mm -hmm. One of the issues I faced as I started to write this And once I got this idea, I couldn't let it go, even though it was often very difficult personally and dealing with my family members and so on. But it seemed so important to me. The question was, if many step families have been distanced from the church by the church's attitudes, by their own sense of having failed to meet some ideal, whatever, even if the church is being gracious, often there's this sense of failure that persists. How could I write in a way that would not assume deep Christian faith on the Mm -hmm. part of my readers? So I really pushed myself as a writer to open up and to write for a much wider audience. Mm -hmm. Though by the end, it's clear that really the only thing I have to offer is the grace of God. 
But I do try to yeah. really open that out and explain it from very basic precepts to those who may not be there hmm. with me on that point, at least not yet. Yeah, thank you. You know, I commend this book to everyone. What, as I was reading it, I was struck particularly when I was a parish pastor, so many families had dynamics that you're sort of opening up here. And I, I'll be honest, I had really never thought theologically about that situation. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really grabbed me, I think it's in the opening section, is when you kind of point to the fact that we, this is my words, not yours, in church, we don't want to really look very closely at the fact that all families are fragile. Right, right. Can you say a bit about that? Well, I will say my favorite line in the whole book is when I realized that a stepmother is a woman in whose body the terrible truth that families are fragile takes on flesh. Hmm. And we don't want to go there. We don't want to see that. I tell a couple stories where in church contexts, people were not cruel, but they simply walked away. They didn't know what to say. Oh, that's not your child. I thought it was. Well, it is, sort of, but, you know, there's another mother here who's standing I will not challenge, will not be able to challenge Mm -hmm. even if I wanted to. That was a very piercing experience and really the moment when I realized I needed to work on this topic when you encounter that prejudice. You know, some of the prejudice is evident in popular culture and folk tales. I have a whole chapter on the Grimm's fairy tales, which I really like. And that's important, and especially may affect children who hear the what I call the ugly word yeah. pronounced about this woman who is now part of the child's life. Yeah, I went reading the book, really that chapter about Grimm. I realized that the number one modifier for the word stepmother in our culture is wicked. Yes. Thank you, all those tales. I have a whole chapter on why I chose to use the word stepmother, which may sound like some kind of academic throwaway, but it's really important to me. And actually, clinical therapists do use the word also in their research. Mm-hmm. They use step words rather than words that one author calls adult happy talk, like blended family yeah. or bonus mom. From the point of view of a child who has suffered a loss, yeah. that can seem the kind of papering over, yeah. I think, that we don't need to do in the community of faith. We can say there has been loss here. And I think it's just a beautiful thing that step families live on this crossroads of loss and hope. Mm-hmm. And everybody can learn something from mm-hmm. that. If you say there was loss here, but now there is hope, there is new life, that's wonderful. And so that's why I stick with that word. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that. And one of the things, Dorothy, I've always appreciated about your writing is a clear-eyed sense about both the claims of the gospel, but also the challenges of living out that word mm-hmm. in the midst of real life. Yes. And there is no room for happy talk in the Christian faith. Right. I mean, it's such a denial of other things. Your last two chapters are on mercy and vocation. There's a theological base all through this. But the last two chapters, you clearly turn to that. Can you say a word about why mercy and vocation were the two key words for you there? Let me start by saying that all the clinical and social research shows that there are very few guidelines widely accepted in our society about what responsibilities and privileges and relationship step parents have to their children. What's right? Hmm. Are you pretending this? Are you playing that? Are you doing this? What is the new thing? 
And yet you can find books and books full of rules. Don't say this, don't yeah. do that, do this, don't do that. And of course, we all need to follow rules once in a while. But should is not a liberating word. Mm. Yeah. Grace is what's liberating. Mm. To say, as many in our culture would, look, we have all kinds of families. It doesn't matter what happened and your loss. Mm. Yes, it does matter. And yet we can face that because of grace. Mm. One thing I see happening for a lot of stepmothers is sometimes we find ourselves in situations that are less than ideal, and we don't even notice the way that God's grace is poking through. Mm. Let Mm. me just tell a little story. My stepdaughter's six years old. We're out in this Indiana suburban neighborhood. I'm hoping to talk up the other moms and find some playmates for her. And... She runs up to me and says, hey, Dorothy, I've got a great idea. You and Daddy could get divorced, and Mommy and her husband could get divorced, and Mommy and Daddy could get married, and you could marry him, and I could live with them, and then I could come visit you and him one weekend a month, okay? (laughs) And all summer. And, of course, in front of all these other young moms who don't even want to think that sometimes the fathers of young children do end up with a different wife, okay? They don't want to go there. And I'm feeling completely mortified. At the same time, I listened to that, and I thought, she loves me. Mm. Mm. She wants me in her life. She wants to come visit me one weekend a month. She even likes the way this is. So I heard this as grace. Or another example, a woman I know who was just devastated that her young stepson asked her to help him buy a Mother's Day card for his real mom. Language hurts. Language shapes relationships so much. This little boy didn't know. He said, would you help me buy this for my real mom? She cries all night. I would say, I understand your pain, I feel for you, but look, this is a child who has asked you to help him with something important that he cannot do for himself. Take it. Mm. This is good. So we have to get beyond zero-sum views of love. There's where grace is, too. And where is the ultimate, this is not zero-sum, that is God. God is the one who has more love than we need. I think that in these kinds of families, and often many of us, we ask, is there enough love to go around? Mm. Yes, there is, if you add God's love into the mix. Yeah. The listeners of this podcast are mostly pastors, Mm -hmm. mostly working in congregations. Mm -hmm. You are not just an advice giver, and I don't want to put you in that role, but what guidance would you give pastors about dealing with the families in their congregations that aren't quote-unquote traditional? Oh, well, first, there are qualities of welcome Mm. that are palpable to people when they exist, and I think that that welcome needs to be clear. Only lifting up those families which are our ideals is something that does happen in spite of best intentions and theological knowledge. I think that in announcements, in finding ways to incorporate children who may not be with us every week, but who are with us every other week or every fourth week, that's something that could be important. Mm. But perhaps just mentioning it once in a while Mm. and not being afraid to go there. I do think that families that have found a way to build forward in hope and trust in spite of a loss that 
has been shattering for them and that everybody else is afraid of too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can yeah. be honored for this. Perhaps little groups can form. I'm, you know, I hope that uh, people might read this together and bring together groups of people whose family situations are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. You, you've already made uh, reference to it, but I've often considered Mother's Day in mm-hmm. church to be one of the most harming days. Yes. As if people enter into it unthinkingly and use hallmark rather than the that's theology right. of grace that's as right. their guidance. That's right. Two points there. One is I really appreciate in the black church this sort of informal title, Mothers of the Church, where they honor those women who have been caring for the children, guiding the children. A lot of the churches that I belong to, white middle class Protestant churches, try to say something of that kind Mm -hmm. on Mother's Day, but I found myself at Ring Hollow. The other thing is we need to remember, and this is part of the mercy portion at the end of the book, I go into this. The image of family in the New Testament is not based sheerly on blood, hmm. right? We are all adopted. Right. You yeah. know, we are all of us brothers and sisters one to another. Hmm. And that it's tough to work out in the details sometimes, but I think as an underlying reality, it gives real hope for the kinds of positive new families that can arise Mm. after our Dick and Jane models fail. And I see families of all kinds, there's so many stories now, really resting on that promise. And I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Let's, in the few moments we have left, let's return back to Practicing Our Faith, first published in 1997. I know there have been revisions. As you look back on the last 25 years and the impact of that, Dorothy, what stands out to you? Well, two things. One bringing theology down to earth. This was happening in a number of ways theologically in the 90s when we got started. Mm -hmm. But I think that saying, look, how is this practice really present in your home, in your congregation, in your community? And what are its theological meanings? And how can you critically discuss that and become stronger? I think that that down to earth quality was important. It worked best, and it's most important when people could talk about it. Mm. As you said, in a church study group or in a seminary classroom Mm -hmm. or something, it's not just a book to go off and read by yourself. It's one to take and look at our home, our congregation, our neighborhood, and ask, okay, how are we doing on hospitality? Mm -hmm. And to get some biblical and theological input on that. Now, today I feel like simply to have conversations of that kind, especially across lines that are so divisive Mm -hmm. within congregations and the society would be itself a wonderful thing. I think that we go a little easy in the book on certain practices that might deserve more attention today, like caring for creation. Mm -hmm. It's there. That's now my passion, working across differences of all kind, especially mm-hmm. those that are embedded with oppression. Yeah. That's there. Those concerns are there, but I would put them out. And I think the same approach that we used in practicing our faith could be brought to bear in good ways upon those topics. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I really appreciate it's funny in, in preparation for this, I did look back on my well marked copy of Practicing Our Faith from mm-hmm. I'm sure I bought it when it first came out and just remembered all the ways it was put to use in congregations mm-hmm. I served. I really appreciate you saying it's not a book to go take and read on your own. Right. But you know, it, it strikes me that so often we think, Oh, we're in church, we know what that is, and then we just go forward without really taking a look at what are the elements of being together in a community mm-hmm. of faith. Mm-hmm. And that work really really helps that. Yes. Dorothy, what's a scripture that is sustaining you right now personally? Well, every morning in my morning prayer, I pray the song of Zechariah. Many people do. It's in Luke 1. And the last verse of that, which has always been so important to me, but is really important now because we're in such desperate times. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Mm. It's a great way to start the morning. Absolutely. Guide our feet into the way of peace, but it also acknowledges the darkness in the midst of which we dwell. Yeah. Oh, that's a blessing word to us today, Dorothy. It's a great way to end our time with you. Thank you very much. We commend both of these books that we've referenced. And thank you so much for your ongoing generative work. It's really important to us. Well, I'm really glad for this opportunity to share it with people in ministry. So thanks for that, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.